This podcast is brought to you by Kiefer Her. Whether you're feeling the effects of menopause or your menstrual cycle, discover what's key for you in less than five minutes with tailored supplement recommendations, information and insights on kieferher.com. Hi, I'm Renee. And I'm Donna. Welcome to the Key For Her podcast. In this series, we aim to educate and open up honest conversations with both medical professionals and real life women. We want to shine a light on those topics that sometimes go unspoken about and help empower women to know what is key for their health and well-being. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Key For Her podcast. Today we talk with women's health expert, Dr. Quiva Hartley. Quiva is the founder of Menopause Health in Dublin. Her goal is to help women access the best advice and individualized care for all stages of their lives. You're very welcome to the podcast, Quiva. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So Quiva is going to be our residence doctor on the Key For Her podcast, and she will join us to answer medical questions around women's health. So Quiva, tell us about your background, your menopause health clinic and why you decided to focus on women's health. Okay, yeah. So my background is in general practice. I'm a GP and I did my training in the southeast of Ireland and I qualified uh, many years ago at this point. And then I emigrated to Canada, um, just me and my other half, and um, had the opportunity to work in a fabulous women's clinic while I was there. Mm-hmm. So um, I worked with um, other very kind of forward-minded um, women who were really inspirational. The clinic was amazing. And we were really encouraged to subspecialize and find an area that we were really interested in. And so for me, that was really hormonal health. I did a lot of fertility um, and that somehow led me to doing a lot of perimenopause and menopause work. And so I did some accreditation and exams while I was there. And then uh, we moved home just before the pandemic in 2019, dragging the kids, the little Canadian kids <laughs> and the Canadian dog with us. And after... um Did they have accents? They had a twang when they oh, came home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The youngest guy was t- um, 10 weeks. Oh, wow. So he had no accent. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Goo-goo gaga. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and the dog may have had an accent, but I don't know. Um, and then set up my own clinic um, about a year and a half ago. And we're based in Dawkey in Dublin. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. some journey. It is indeed. Yeah. It's been and a busy couple of years. Talk you can about say that again. Yeah. <laughs> good timing, though, because menopause and perimenopause has really blown up in the news and media, and everyone's talking about it. And so it's probably a great thing now that you, that's what you are focusing on, right? Yeah, completely. So we're um, we're a menopause clinic, um, although we do a lot of other women's health as well. We're kind of broadening um, what we do a little okay. into more generalized women's health too, but it's mostly midlife women's health. Um, uh, but it's it's really taken off. Yeah. Mm. And it's funny, when I did my training in 2015, 2016 in Canada, um, it was still kind of at the fringe of a lot of women's health. Mm. And it's only really in the last two years, I think, that it's got into the zeitgeist. People are talking about it. Um, prescribing habits are changing. We're seeing more hormone therapy being prescribed, which has led to shortages. Mm. It's a whole conversation for mm. a different yeah. day. Yeah. But yeah, it has really taken off. And is that just in Ireland and the UK? Obviously, we all know Davina McCall has mm. done a huge kind of awareness campaign in the UK. There's so much talk here on Joe Duffy and the likes. Do you think it's across the globe or is it just around where we are? I think it's global. 
really and certainly in the western world I think between the states Canada most of Europe and here well that's great things have changed yeah Yeah. and there's loads of reasons for that but I think there's momentum building and I think you know women talk to other women and that contributes to them well I think we have to thank Joe Duffy though and Lifeline (laughs) I did open my clinic pre-Joe Duffy just to point that (laughs) out Um, you're the hipster of menopause (laughs) I'm the original exactly well not quite but like I think it has taken off for lots of different reasons but it's great to see you know there's a whole generation of women who got left out yeah yes you know I think people like my mother and her generation who didn't have access to really good menopausal care they just didn't talk about it not at all they were afraid True, but I think think if you go back and look at kind of how they would have been educated on even periods and their menstrual cycle and reproduction and what happens when you have a baby and all of that, you know, had to be modernized and and was and is much better now, I I hope. Um, But I think menopause is probably the last thing to... It's the, it's the bit of education we're missing, I think. Yes. Yeah, because it's just not... Like, I think lately in schools, they've sort of introduced more education around the menstrual cycle, which is fantastic. Um, they could do more, but, you know, we're getting places, but there's no talk of it in school. So even from that young age, even girls just aren't aware. And, and then as teenagers probably a lot of their moms are going through it and mm-hmm. they don't understand you know and probably looking back and now I kind of can see uh yeah. mom probably was going through perimenopause and she probably didn't even understand what yeah. the, the yeah. moods and yeah. the irritability and the hot flushes and all you know you look back and you go god she never talked about it no. Ren's mom went around with the tissue on her forehead her for head. about 10 years just go on stick oh, it on like mom. and she'd be there peeling the spuds and she'd be there going you go do this and I'd be like mom what's the story with that and she goes sure it's fine and the, the bead of sweat would be just rolling down her face that can and you couldn't we, see the we other symptoms used. probably oh, that yeah, she was, was also going there through there was a bit of you know <laughs> <laughs> the odd time and we were like run <laughs> but it's, yeah it seems to be now women don't want to talk about anything else if they're but. going through that phase now they want to know more which yes. is great oh they're hungry for yeah, information yes. but it's so I mean it's cliche but it's so empowering to have the right information because mm-hmm. then you're making informed choices mm-hmm. and I'd see my role in our clinic is not to tell people you all should be on HRT or nobody should be in hormone therapy it should be these are the options yes it depends on what's bothering you what are your symptoms mm-hmm. what are your values what do you, what are your goals and then let them decide but you can't do that if you don't educate women properly exactly and everyone's symptoms are different so yes. Like it's and there's a way of looking at that I've heard from a few different sources that menopause is like puberty in reverse. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it has similarities to puberty in a yeah, absolutely that it is kind of an unwinding of hormones that we gain in puberty, but in other ways it's very different because with puberty you're gaining something. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sort of hesitant to say that with menopause, you're losing something because you're not. That sounds really negative. Yeah. Mm. It's just but changing. It's, the environment is different. Yeah, mm. it's not exactly the same. Yes. Um, same, same, but different. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's oversimplifying in a way yeah. to say, yeah. it's, you know, but but puberty is interesting as well. And, and there are definitely similarities. Both are basically just turbulent hormonal times. Okay. And it's like the first trimester pregnancy. Same idea. Yeah. Anytime in our life when we have a hormonal environment that isn't stable, So you're going through these kind of fluctuating hormones, whether that's puberty or the first trimester of pregnancy or immediately postnatal or with menopause, you're going to be symptomatic because your body doesn't like being strapped into this roller coaster that's all over the place. 
And it happens with both ends of the reproductive spectrum with puberty and with menopause. So that's what it really has in common with it, I think. And so it's probably a good place to start <laughs> is uh, where it all begins is, <laughs> is when the, the onset of, of, of menstruation and when the first period starts. So I suppose we're going to mm. try and cover from the very beginning of the basics. Okay, whistle stop tour of reproduction. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Go. <laughs> and go. Um, you know, what does a healthy period look like? When does it generally start? What can, you know, young girls look out for? That sort of thing, you know. Yeah, um, so you really start kind of, if you really want to go back to the beginning, you start as an embryo. Like when you're in utero before you're born, you have all of your you know, primordial follicles, these little follicles that are going to ultimately grow into follicles that you ovulate from. Mm-hmm. You've all your eggs. It's basically. amazing. I yeah, think yeah. that's amazing when a baby Before girl is born. you're born. Yeah. yeah. Whereas men sort of do the job on the run and they're making um, sperm as they go as they go. <laughs> um, and but we are born with all we're of our ready, stuff. Basically. We're born ready to go. Yeah. I mean, are you surprised? That's women all over. Yeah. Like, you know, we're prepared. <laughs> um, but they lie dormant until. Um, changes happen in your brain and that's due to aging and you get to puberty and average age is probably about 11 or 12 okay. to start having periods but that actually that age is decreasing across the world and nobody really I knows why I find that fascinating yeah. is My it down to better nutrition possibly or, yeah. or other factors or evolutionary factors nutrition yeah. genetics other environmental factors that we maybe haven't um, pinned down I don't know is mm-hmm. the answer but it is dropping now it's only a small amount it's not dramatic yeah. Yeah. but it is falling um, I think they've seen it more in the States than anywhere else. Okay. So, and there's a lot of studies being done around that the last few years, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think they did a big, they did a study in, in the States in particular, I think, to look at um, what's called menarche, which is, mm-hmm. so you've menarche and menopause. So menarche is your first period and menopause is your last period and everything else in between is everything else in between. Yeah, the roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> strap, strap yourself and, in. And so puberty isn't just your first period. Like puberty happens before you have your first period. So we see changes in breast development, mm-hmm. We see changes in hair growth. You get hair growth in your under your arms. You get hair growth in your pubic area. Um, your um, glands develop so that you start to sweat. Mm-hmm. You know, you might develop and, and your skin changes. You get more sebum production. Mm-hmm. You might get acne, something I had as a teenager, which is no fun whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, rough. Yeah. yeah, especially as a girl, I think, mm-hmm. but probably as a boy as well, but especially as a girl. Um, and so all those changes actually happen. And then your brain starts to change. Um, and one of the classic things with, um, I always think of, you know, the Harry Enfield, Kevin sketch and yeah, this yeah. like really, this t- you know, grumpy teenager who's just growling mm. at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of that happens and these, and the kind of poor decisions in inverted commas that we think teenagers sometimes make, um, it's because their brain is developing at different rates. Mm. So the part of their brain that has impulse control develops a bit later than the part of the brain that has like, you know, logic and <laughs> logic reasoning. And reason, yeah. Yeah. So they might think that's probably a bad idea I shouldn't do that but the part that controls that impulse to do it isn't there yet hasn't matured and so I think it's really interesting like your brain your brain is so kind of um like it's flexible it adapts and it's and it's this you know plasticity in your brain it keeps changing Mm. um under hugely hormonal influences so through puberty, you see if you were to kind of do a PET scan or an MRI or whatever and look at teenagers' brains, you'd see them evolving and changing in shape and how they function. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. Don't tell the kids that because they'll give you an excuse, an excuse of that or why they're Sorry, acting the manga. Just, just my brain, not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot to do my chores again. Really? So all of those changes start to happen. And actually the end of puberty is really marked by your first period. Okay. That's kind of the last stage. Wow, okay. 
thing. Yeah. And then you have a few years usually where your periods are not regular. Yeah, and yeah, the mine weren't is, for the start. I was, that's like, totally I was expecting normal. another one like 28 days later <laughs> and it was like six months later I was there. Oh, this is great. I don't have to deal with this. Because <laughs> it can take two years, right? For them yeah, to regulate. To kind of regulate yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And the, and the reason is ovulation. So ovulation isn't kicking in in a regular pattern for about two years on okay. average. Um, I think that is a question that we have actually been sent by some hmm. younger girls and they just don't know that Um just an interesting one that it just doesn't become regular straight away yeah and again if you're looking at parallels between puberty and then the perimenopausal Mm -hmm. period same idea so we see irregular ovulation happening Mm -hmm. so it's not once a month in the first couple of years and in perimenopause irregular ovulation as well and so your periods become irregular before they stop Mm -hmm. would be the typical thing now obviously there's outliers to this and you know people Mm -hmm. there's exceptions to this but that would be typical so I suppose that kind of brings us to, well, what causes ovulation? Like what is yeah. it? What's happening in a normal menstrual cycle? Yeah. If you're looking at the ovarian cycle and what happens with your periods and why we have periods. So basically, if you take, if we split it into sort of just an average, on average, we'll have a 28 day cycle. So normal menstrual cycle is about 28 days to 30 days long. And if you split that into two halves is the easiest way of looking at it. So you've got your first half, which is called your follicular phase. And then the second half, which is the luteal phase. So first half starts with a period. So the day you get your period, that is your day one of your cycle. And what your ovary then starts doing, it's getting ready to have another cycle. Um, so it decides it's going, well, not it decides, that makes it sound like there's someone sitting in your ovary with a clipboard, like, you know, um, yeah, ringing a bell. Yeah. Um, but what happens is it starts to recruit follicles. So if you go back to what we said at the beginning as an embryo and you have all these primordial little, very immature, tiny, tiny little follicles in your ovary. So imagine them as a kind of stand in a sports stadium, just full of, you know, players waiting to be called on. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And you have someone standing on the pitch and so you you take your little group out of that stand. So you you recruit um, however many follicles. And then over the next two weeks, they get more and more mature, they grow, they get bigger until one becomes dominant. Um, so that's your really big, so bigger wait, mama follicle. I know, of same. Them all yeah. kind of working out and living their best <laughs> lives. And they're like, hopefully they're like, I might be chosen. <laughs> chosen one. So then think of the one who's like the Hulk yeah. in the corner. Okay, so that's your dominant follicle. Um, and she basically elbows everybody else out of the way. And she does that because these follicles produce um, a hormone called estrogen. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get our estrogen from, is from these follicles in our ovary as they're growing. And so over that two weeks, you're actually making more and more and more estrogen because they're getting bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger. But there is a tipping point where that really big follicle produces so much estrogen that there's negative feedback. And that estrogen that that big follicle is producing is switching off the hormone that's driving the growth of these follicles. Mm -hmm. Mm So the big follicle is basically cutting off the hormone that's making all of the other follicles grow. Okay. And so it gets to be dominant. Okay. Um, I can't think of a good analogy for that, but I'm sure, <laughs> sure you can come up with something. Um, and so at usually at the, at the kind of day 14 mark or thereabouts, mm. obviously it varies from cycle to cycle and woman to woman. Um, that follicle becomes so big that it sort of pops you could insert a little popping sound mm-hmm. <laughs> here <laughs> yeah and and out pops an oocyte which is your egg okay 
Okay, so that then travels down your fallopian tube in the hope that it's going to meet some sperm, be um, fertilized, and then you'll have a zygote and a growing embryo ultimately that implants into the lining of the womb. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first two weeks, loads of estrogen, growing follicles. One of the things, and one of the purposes of that estrogen in the first two weeks is to thicken the lining of your womb. Mm. So you've just had a period from day one, and then over the next two weeks, you start to build that lining up again. And that's because of estrogen. Yeah. Okay, when you get to day 14 and you ovulate, you start making a second hormone, progesterone. And progesterone's job is to turn that lining into something that is hospitable to an embryo. So it's a bit like, you know, you're you're putting out all the bricks and you've all the cement. That's what happens in the first two weeks. Progesterone's job is to sort of make something uniform and functional out mm-hmm. of that. Okay. And if you're pregnant, then that embryo gets to implant into this really suitable lining. But if you're not, you make this progesterone for about two weeks and then you stop making it and the lining comes away and you have a period and the whole process starts all over again. So it's that lining shedding down and that's what gives you your period. It's like a comfy duvet that's waiting for a possible pregnancy. And it's like, we're coming out with all the analogies here now. (laughs) I was thinking Beyonce egg, all this. (laughs) Thinking of a red duvet. Come in. We're just confusing the matter now. <laughs> so many mental images, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's it. That's basically it. But to get that kind of pattern of you know two weeks of estrogen and then two weeks of some estrogen and lots of progesterone that then lead to a period at the end of four weeks. To get that pattern going, you need to be ovulating regularly, mm-hmm. yeah. which is why we see not regular periods for the first couple of years and not regular periods in perimenopause because it's anovulatory. You're not ovulating regularly. Okay. Okay, and it is more complicated than that just to um, to really kind of mess with your heads because so that's what your ovary and your, your ovaries and your womb are doing. But your brain is like the foreman, forewoman Forewoman. to yeah. all of this <laughs> and, and is sitting up there with a megaphone and a clipboard and everything. So your pituitary gland, part of your brain, it produces a hormone called FSH mm-hmm. and another hormone called luteinizing hormone LH. And they're actually, it's the puppet master. And FSH is what's telling your ovaries to, it's literally follicle stimulating hormone. hormone. So it's telling your ovaries, make follicles, make more follicles, keep making follicles until that big dominant follicle produces so much estrogen, it stops producing FSH. Yes. And it sort of sits back. And LH, this other hormone it produces, that's to do with ovulation. It's to, it's part of how we ovulate. So it's not really something that we need to cover today. Yeah, yeah. But if you think of perimenopause and one of and menopause, one of the blood test markers of menopause is a high FSH level. Okay. And it's because your ovaries are so um relu- yeah, yeah, they're not they're not producing follicles really. It's like send out more FSH exactly. to get them going. But it's it's like, you know, the forewoman has this megaphone and is having to scream at your ovaries to make them produce more FSH, to produce more follicles to keep your reproduction going. I think there's a lot of confusion there with women because <clears> they think they can just just go and get this simple blood test and say, right, I'm officially in, you know, perimenopause or menopause. But that fluctuates so much, it, you can't always like rely on it. Or how does that work exactly? True. Because there's a yeah. lot of confusion out there about yeah, with when me- it'll to work go. with menopause. Yeah. But not with perimenopause. Mm-hmm. So when your periods are done. And it's too late at that stage for a lot of people because they want to know what's happening now exactly yeah Yeah. and also at that point if you come in and say it's been a year since I've had a period and I'm now 50 I don't need a blood test to tell me Mm. that you're menopausal you are menopausal 
the FSH is useful for two things. One in fertility and and the second is in younger women whose periods have stopped and we want to know why. Mm. Okay. Is it because you've reached menopause at an early age? And your brain is having to produce this hormone because your ovaries aren't functioning anymore and it's mm. having to scream at them. And that's menopause. Or have you stopped ovulating for, or, you know, or, or stopped having periods for some other reason? reason? And there are other reasons. Mm. But in a woman over the age of 45, if you stop having periods, the assumption is it's, it's menopause. menopause. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. we ovulate every single month? No, not always. No. So you'll have months where the balance isn't right or you have an, a follicle that becomes dominant but isn't really functional and so you don't mm-hmm. ovulate. Um, other things can get in the way. Ovulation is quite sensitive to other factors mm-hmm. and they've shown times of stress, bereavement. Mm-hmm. So both physical and emotional stress. If you have rapid weight loss, if you're really um, athletic, if you do kind of really high level intensity training or if you've gone through really psychological trauma or you're under great stress or whatever it might be um you can get what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea which is a big fancy name that just means your brain has stopped stimulating your ovaries to produce an egg because it is interpreting the stress as as not a good time to get pregnant Yeah. yeah. So this very sensitive. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more going on than we actually realize. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And then if you throw contraception into the mix, and obviously there's other things, you know, that can happen, that like like polycystic ovarian syndrome mm. and other there's other kind of um, medical reasons why someone might not be having a period or not or might not be ovulating every single month. And just to touch on contraceptive, if you're on the pill, you know the the period that you get on the pill. I've heard it's a fake period. What are your thoughts on that? It depends what you mean by the word period in a way. Yeah, it's still a period. Yeah, like like it's just, and what do we even mean by, like period isn't even the medical term so mm. um but yeah i know what you're saying it's it's a with it is a withdrawal, withdrawal bleed. Bleed. exactly yeah. yeah so you haven't ovulated but you've we've artificially given you estrogen and progesterone for three weeks mm. usually mm. then we've taken them away because you, you know you take a pill free yeah. week and there's a whole interesting history behind that pill free week as well for another day perhaps. Yeah, another episode yeah, um, and uh and then because of that withdrawal your your lining is like oh all those hormones that were supporting me are yeah. gone and then you have a bleed because of that because it has yeah. to shed at some exactly. point so so when if say if you don't ovulate one month and you do the next you you still should even if you don't ovulate in the month you should still shed right you can do yeah we'd see sometimes in perimenopause and again in puberty if you go through a month where you don't ovulate you won't necessarily have a period Mm. but you can get some bleeding in those first few years just because the lining is kind of sensitive and Mm. it's it's you know not learning but like it's you know it's just developing I guess Mm -hmm. um and it's developing under the influence of these new hormones so you can get a bit of irregular bleeding for that reason Mm. things to watch out for which I think are handy to know like reasons to be kind of like concerned or I should go and talk to someone so very very heavy periods which Mm. are a really difficult thing to define Mm. what's a heavy period like what I call heavy maybe you don't you know um the medical definition if you want to know which I think is hilarious is more than 80 mils of blood loss so (laughs) so how do you actually measure that well I've never had a woman come in and say well I've measured it and I'm losing 110 (laughs) mils of blood like because how and why would you, you like to please don't do that <laughs> <laughs> i did hear though menstrual cups are a great way of Actually, kindly saying yeah, how, 
how much you're losing a day but maybe, then again maybe like, someone should make a menstrual cup that actually has little a little gauge like on a the tiny inside, little like measuring cup, measuring yeah. cup. <laughs> and it's like oh we're up to 15 today who has the time oh, though god <laughs> true and like it's kind of icky in a way to, yeah. to be thinking about trying because i think what it what i mean by heavy bleeding is bleeding that's affecting your life yes. like if you can't function yeah. or you can't do normal daily things or whatever you think should be normal daily things and if you're getting up at night that's a key as well if you're, yeah. if you're having to get up at night change, change a pad, pad. Yeah. yeah that's a bit of a red flag for me especially like, if it's a night pad as well absolutely yeah. like that's yeah. not normal and if your history has been of having normal in inverted commas like my periods were one way for years but now there's a dramatic change that's a red flag too Mm. but for younger girls who are just starting off yeah if the bleeding is so heavy they can't go to school or they can't do sports or they you know that it's not manageable but then it needs attention you know and and so if if there was a mom listening and or a girl who who was or a woman experiencing uh heavy heavy bleeding um you know what should she do I think the first protocol is to check in with your GP. Yeah. Yeah. And start there and start just the conversation. Absolutely go through a history, go through some basics, figure out are there investigations that need to be done. What we're looking for with younger women is often things like polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis which won't happen at puberty but develops over adolescence. It's possibly. Yeah, and it's usually the hallmark is usually pain with endometriosis. Yes. Um so endometriosis is where you would find tissue that should be your lining should mm-hmm. be inside the womb outside of the womb and nobody really knows why we don't know is it an autoimmune thing is it genetic is it environmental we're not sure just to get there i outside. don't know yeah i don't know but so it's really a gray area at the moment and it's it's quite a lot of women that are suffering from it mm. and 10 to 15 percent of women i think have, have polycystic syndrome and about and similar probably have endometriosis if not slightly more or, and are yeah. a lot of them linked with some people or they even have one or the other or they're not linked to, to each other necessarily okay. they're two like two separate conditions mm-hmm. so so endometriosis where you find these little pockets of tissue outside yeah. your womb is a spectrum so we'll have women who have no symptoms at all but then might find it hard to get pregnant in their thirties or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's a kind of retrospective diagnosis of Mm -hmm. like, Oh, actually this is something you've probably had for years, but you weren't really suffering with it. And in fact, you know, the majority of women with endometriosis don't have a fertility issue. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have symptoms from it and you don't have trouble getting pregnant, there's no benefit to knowing that it's there in a way. So it's something causing big problems. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'll often speak to women who say, I had horrendous periods in my, late teens my 20s I didn't have a problem getting pregnant but like I couldn't go to school I had issues with That's work the same with Donna Donna used to pass out at school like yeah. I think I had endometriosis like I I, I definitely do I don't like I I you suppose so back then pain. I just never <clears throat> talked about it but I I was like not able to do anything for four days out of every month since I was 14 yeah the trouble is so you're you're very possibly correct you know mm-hmm. and and that's maybe and that is maybe what's happened um but my question is like i i don't have an issue with it anymore um so it's hard to know after pregnancy yeah. like things yeah because okay. the environment changes and, and i look you know, after myself differently now as well than i yeah. did when i was younger i'm more aware of my menstrual health and nutrition and things like that yeah. but i i don't know it, it, it does it go away or does it get worse 
Um, it can recede, yeah, and different things. Like pregnancy is actually really helpful for endometriosis because you're not having to have a period every month, mm. which really helps. Mm. And it changes the hormonal environment for yeah. that period of time. And um, so it's not something that you have to continue to have symptoms with. It can change. Um, and why women get mild symptoms and other women get really severe, we don't know either. But mm. it's graded, you know, it's grade one, grade two, grade three, and so on. Yeah. Um, depending on where those little pockets of tissue decide to deposit themselves mm. and if they're on your bowel you might get women with really bad bowel symptoms rectal pain is a symptom of endometriosis yeah. so women who say you know once a month I get really bad pain in my bum I get really bad rectal pain I don't know why I get really bad diarrhea with my period which can be common anyway but mm-hmm. it can be a symptom of endometriosis and and then when it comes to polycystic ovarian syndrome uh, PCOS um, that's a, a minefield as well because you don't actually have to have cysts on your ovaries do you to be yeah it's, it's poorly named yeah, yeah as yeah. it turns out yeah it's a bit misleading um so and that's about the insulin resistance and you know yeah like that as well it's interesting so pcos is really again really interesting it's probably genetic um, or at least that's the thinking it's really common um and again like endometriosis it's a spectrum we have women who have no symptoms and women who have severe symptoms and everything in between And it's a bit harder to pin down what is actually happening with polycystic ovarian syndrome, but it seems to be to do with, it starts with insulin resistance. That Mm -hmm. seems to be the original issue. And because of that insulin resistance, you start making more insulin. So insulin produced by your pancreas, Mm -hmm. its job is to move glucose, which is Mm -hmm. sugar, out of your bloodstream and into your blood cells so that it can be used for energy. And if you can't do that, if your cells are like not sensitive to the insulin you have, hence insulin resistance Mm -hmm. you have to make more of it yeah so you make more and more insulin which is fine your blood sugar is usually normal for for polycystic ovarian syndrome it's not the same as diabetes they've normal blood sugar because with the extra insulin it works okay and they maintain their blood sugar in a normal range but that extra insulin if you bathe an ovary in an environment with lots of insulin your ovary produces more androgens which are kind of a testosterone like Mm -hmm. hormone Mm -hmm. And the knock-on effect of that is you can stop ovulating and you can have symptoms. Classically, Mm. it would be acne, excess hair growth, which is also a difficult thing to pin down. (laughs) Well, every woman I ever talk to, if I ask them, do you think you've excess hair growth? They all say yes, because we're told you shouldn't have hair anywhere. You should have hair Mm. in your head, maybe hair in your eyebrows, no hair anywhere else, anywhere, (laughs) ever. Do you know what I mean? So like, because that's, that's everywhere. Like, I want to be lasered from the eyelashes. Just from my neck down. Out the door. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. (laughs) And I think that's awful because I think women think if I grow hair anywhere, I'm, I've excess hair growth. Like it's just, you know, normal, normal. So by excess hair growth, what we mean is hair growth in a male pattern. So hair typically, although we all have hair on our face, but there's it's excess hair mm. on your face that you might have to shave or deal with yeah. or um, hair on your chest. It's unusual enough for women to grow hair on their chest mm-hmm. um, and so on. So it's in a kind of male pattern. Yeah. You can see thinning on your hair. Again, if you think of kind of male pattern hair growth on your mm-hmm. head, um, acne, I think I've mentioned weight gain can be common, but not everybody with polycystic ovarian syndrome has a larger body mass index. Again, it's a spectrum. Um, fertility can be an issue because you might not ovulate once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, have I covered everything? I think that's everything with PCOS, yeah. That's brilliant. This podcast is brought to you by our very own brand, Kiefer Her. Whether you're feeling the effects of menopause or your menstrual cycle, discover what's key for you in less than five minutes 
with tailored supplement recommendations, information and insights on keyforher.com. Please have 20% off on us by using the promo code KEYPODCAST in all capitals. I think when it comes to diet and lifestyle, especially through, well, I was going to say through puberty, but actually through your whole reproductive life, it is a balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I wouldn't be kind of recommending a particular diet or a particular lifestyle change. Obvious things like smoking, we all yes. kind of know is bad for us and definitely seems to have an anti-estrogen effect. So women who smoke have earlier menopause, for example. Um, and then there's all the other outcomes with smoking, like your cardiovascular health and your lung respiratory health and so on um and the same with alcohol you know everything in moderation and then in terms of diet yeah I think it is just a healthy diet like crash dieting and calorie restricting is going to have an impact on your menstrual cycle your brain will interpret that as we don't have enough food available terrible time to grow a baby yeah so like the stress it's just like oh no you're you're just not getting enough food you can't carry a baby so it's kind of recognizing yeah yeah. It's protecting you because yeah. it's, you know, it's like, well, we need these calories for our body and I, you know, growing a pregnancy would be a bad idea. So that's why, um, not to mention, I suppose if that happens and you stop ovulating because of that and you're not producing a huge amount of your own estrogen, there's knock on effects for things like your own bone density and, mm-hmm. you know, and which again, in menopause, it'll... same idea. Yeah. 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 So important to just have a well-balanced diet, have adequate calcium, have adequate protein, um, yeah, it's all about balance. Yeah. Can yeah. I just ask you about research into women's health? And, you know, I've heard a lot that we, we weren't included in a lot of clinical studies for a very long time and only recently in the last kind of 10, 15 years. Is that right? Or is it longer? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it is only the last probably decade, decade and a half. really. Yeah, well, I mean, you can kind it? of see it. Because who is doing the research? <laughs> 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 like is it shocking you know there yeah. was a there's a famous um study in the states called the baltimore uh longitudinal study of aging or something anyway the point was they got a load of people and their plan was we'll look at aging in a really big population okay. so that we can learn more about aging we'll, we'll look at all these different factors and mm. and so they were like okay, aging in the in the human race and so they enrolled thousands of men right. and they enrolled no women and it took 35 or something years until they decided we should probably include some women (laughs) and the thinking was sure women are just another version of men yeah Yeah. that like that was the old thinking you could extrapolate from insane I know but again is it surprising like it isn't and I think one of the principal investigators was challenged on it and asked why are there no women in your study and he said, well, like, they're really difficult to study because, you know, they have this, like... Too much hassle. <laughs> and they're, and they're, their hormones change from month to month and they go up oh and down. God. And it's not a level playing field, whereas at least men, like, their hormonal environment is a bit more stable. You and, think they'd be more interested mm, in that yeah. than going with no, the easy we option. Were, we are too difficult to study. And so they left us out. But that's true. There's loads of other... There was another one looking at um, coronary disease, like cardiovascular disease, heart disease. Um, and it was to do with um, hormone therapy and estrogen, and they and they gave men estrogen and looked at what? their heart health. I swear I to God, to women. <laughs> yeah. So do you think then maybe that's part of the reason why all of this talk about you know women's health and all these things are coming up and in focus now because more research has been done? 
I think more research probably is being done. I think one of the issues I face is that a lot of the time we're talking about things and having to caveat it with like, I'm really sorry, we don't have really good data on that because that research should have been done 30 years ago so that I can now say, well, with 30 years of follow-up, we know X, Y, and Z and we don't have it, which is really frustrating. Testosterone is a really good example of that. So going back to what we were saying about Mm. your ovaries, they produce estrogen, they produce progesterone, but there's a third Mm. hormone, testosterone, that you then convert into estrogen. and A lot of women don't know that. They just think testosterone is a, is a man's hormone. But we make oh, more yes. testosterone than we do estrogen. So Wow. Yeah, like all, all three of us have about three times as much testosterone as we do estrogen, but about a tenth what men have. Okay. So it is a more masculine hormone, mm-hmm. but it's our dominant hormone is testosterone. Mm-hmm. And it falls in this really gradual way. So you start producing it in puberty and then it sort of peaks in your mid-30s and then it falls really gradually. And a study in Australia recently showed that it starts to go up in your early 70s and nobody seems to know <laughs> why. Um, no wonder they're all latted in there. <laughs> the old folks are having a great time. Get out of that room. <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself there, Mary. The poor nurses. No wonder they're probably yeah. driven crap. <laughs> Swapping them away from each other, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but it doesn't kind of fall off a cliff the way that our other hormones do with menopause. And that's why... I guess we don't pay it quite as much attention because we continue to produce it. Mm-hmm. We always ask everyone, can you remember your first period? And uh, oh, I knew story you were Sorry, everyone had a story. <laughs> and was it like funny or good Nothing or bad? sacred here. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh God, you're both looking at me like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Come on, tell us. Yeah, exactly. We oh, told our story. To, okay, so you're not to tell yours. So I came, I actually had a, I had a music class. I, was, I used to play piano okay. uh, that my mum would bring me to after school. And I got home and realised that I'd had my first period and wanted to crawl into a hole and never come out. And also the dawning on me that like, that stain has been on my uniform since I don't know what time today. You know, that horrible thing of like, how long has that been there? (laughs) Ah, and my mom had to go, she'll kill me for telling the story. My mom had to go out and play bridge that night. So there was kind of a, okay, there you go. You know, here's the sanitary towel. Bye. And like she was gone. And my dad, who'd be the most private, like yeah. never talked about stuff like this ever at all. Um, my dad was obviously informed on her way out the door. And I remember my skin wanting to just leave my body because yes. he said to me, will we get a takeaway tonight? Oh, right. And I was like, I knew then <laughs> he knew easy. something had happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Stop looking at me. <laughs> exactly. Let's be treated like an invalid then. I hate oh, it. I was like, stop treating God. me like this. Yeah, yeah. It but it's imagine yeah. like, uh, as a young girl, being so mortified about it. And we, we had uh, the girls many, any time of the month. Uh, do you know them? They, I do, yeah, yeah. They're great. And, and <laughs> we got them to talk about their um, first periods. And like, obviously, they're a lot younger than I am and they still had that stigma around being absolutely mortified and hiding the pads and the tampons up the sleeve and even in an all-girls school so um I just I hope that uh, through all these conversations that we have you know are involved in and have started and and everyone else that's getting involved that it becomes less embarrassing for girls mm-hmm. and that it's not something to be ashamed of yeah, it's all of us. So, yeah. and like, I still think, you know, it can be something that is private and it's, yes. you know, yes. I mean, yeah. we all go to the bathroom, we all go to the toilet. Yeah. We're not having to kind of talk about no. it all the time, but like, you shouldn't be scared of it. You shouldn't be embarrassed mm. by mm. it. I think having access to products yeah. is really important. Mm-hmm. And also like going back to what we said about painful periods and heavy periods and knowing that you don't have to just 
caught up with all of that, we have so many options and management options to help younger girls in particular with periods that are uncomfortable or difficult. And if they just don't want to have them, we can get around that too. You don't have to have a period every month. Like from a health point of view, you don't have to have a period every Mm. month. Um, And so we'll often ask women to run the pill back to back. Don't take that week off. If you don't want to, if you don't want to have a bleed. Okay. And I suppose wrong with especially that. with girls as well, if they were having a hard time of it and say if they were going through exams or something or they just wanted yeah. to make sure perhaps like that, that wasn't going to be a huge issue for them perhaps at that time. And sports and yes. athletics and going out to someone's house, staying over in someone's house and like all these other things, you know, that we, uh, you know, you would have been planning around or we would have probably done that. There's so many options now that are really helpful. So my almost seven-year-olds like they're almost the other extreme I'd say that they're almost too blasé about all this stuff because I don't want them to Mm, grow up fearful (laughs) and I don't want them to kind of be terrified when they get a period and I want them to like you know I think even putting sanitary products in their school bag when they get to 10 or 11 having them prepared so there isn't this kind of that's you know, a nice idea, actually. Just have them a little, little bit emergency prepared. something, yeah. Yes. Just so emergency they're not scrambling, stash. you know, yeah. or having to ask a teacher or a friend or you know, yeah. and having the conversation early but not too early. So I like I haven't sat my girls down and said, now listen, this mm. is your menstrual cycle, you know, and so on, and because mm. like, I think that's just there's no need and it's no too need. early. Yes. Yeah. But not hiding it. So we like they waltz in and out of the bathroom, oh, yes. and, you know. And we'll say, like, they'll hand me a tampon if I ask them and they know what it is. Yeah. And they'll ask, if they ask a question, I answer it. And that's yeah. you normalizing it And if they it don't, I leave house, it. So it's great. Yeah. So I don't corner them and say, yeah. but they do occasionally come into the clinic and I have, like, a, a poster on the wall of, like, you know, reproductive stuff and there's pictures of vaginas and, yeah. like, because it's helpful when I'm chatting mm-hmm. to patients to point at stuff. But they can stand there and they can, like, they, they list so off. Yeah, they are, that's yeah. brilliant. That's amazing. Uh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a balance, uh, I think. You know, it's a balance. I get yeah. a chart for our house now for my little one. <laughs> they think my guy, we have a gyne bed in the, in the clinic for doing procedures and stuff. They think it's a dental bed, which I think is hilarious. Oh. So, so I don't know what they think the I do. They hop up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's Ta-da. when they, they'll hop up if I'm sort of doing some notes and paperwork and they'll hop up in the bed that doesn't look like the mouth (laughs) (laughs) and they'll play dentist on the bed I'm like "Mm, wrong wrong end (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny Um, so what are your three key tips for good hormonal and menstrual health Okay, I think tip number one is educate yourself. So know what is, I I hesitate to say normal because there is no normal in a yes. way. Um, we're all totally different. It's the same at menopause and perimenopause. It is a spectrum. But know what, um, you know, know that if you are having issues, if you're having heavier painful periods, if you're having irregular periods and you're concerned, it is worth a conversation. Don't stick your head in the sand and don't feel like you have to put up with it. Uh, number two would be look after yourself. I mean, obvious things. And I think a balanced diet, um, getting enough sleep and not over exercising and just, I mean, it's all very cliche probably, but like to just mind yourself is really important. No, I but think. it's the basic stuff we don't do, you know, self-care. We have to be, re- we yeah. have to be reminded. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, let me see number three in terms of, uh, a tip for menstrual mm. I suppose though, another thing, <laughs> one thing, I don't know, do you tell um any women or girls that might come in is to track their cycle so they know what's normal for them if they do need to go see a doctor 
as to you know, I think so they can kind of see you personally I, I think you can over track mm-hmm. sometimes and you can get it can cause almost more stress occasionally mm-hmm. um I think it is useful to keep an eye on it mm-hmm. all I'm saying is I wouldn't be kind of saying look god it was two days late so we would again going back to kind of a medical t- definition we would define irregular periods as having a variability of more than seven days per month as okay. in, I'm seven days late or I'm seven days early, early. Yeah. back so to back. So that would be a big kind of Yeah, that's kind, kind of, of outside the normal range. It's normal to have periods that vary by a few days, few days yeah. every month. Because I was never bang on 28 ever. No one is. Maybe a few days mm-hmm. either way, but that was normal for me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I just worry that sometimes the period trackers that you can create almost too much. Okay. You could be too married to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep by all means keep an eye because it's handy. They're really helpful for t- for fertility, and they're actually yeah. kind of helpful in perimenopause because they are. It's often helpful to look back and say, look, you know, you've come in saying all these symptoms I have are they hormonal? I don't know, mm-hmm. and we can look and see. Well, actually, look how irregular your periods have become over yeah. the last year. So they can be handy there, yeah. and for fertility. Um, but outside of that, yeah, I wouldn't get too, too bogged down in making sure you're absolutely clockwork because yeah. you're probably not going to be. Yeah. Thanks a million for coming in and talk to us today, Quiva. So where can our listeners find you if they want to book an appointment or find out more? Yeah, they can go to our website, which is www.menopausehealth.ie. Perfect. Thanks a million. And you're very welcome. See you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on the Key For Her podcast. We'd be so grateful if you could hit subscribe, rate and share this podcast with your friends. For tips, tricks and hacks and all things perimenopause, menopause, periods, menstrual cycles and skin health, follow us at Key For Her on TikTok and Instagram. Check out our website keyforher.com for more information.